Hey, it's Greg Brady. Welcome to the Toronto Today podcast. couple milestones, I mean, on the calendar anyway. Well, it's Friday, so there's that. Even more so there's that because it's October, Friday, October the 1st. Thank you very much for finding us and for downloading us and or subscribing to us. And if you haven't yet, please do. We start talking about Justin Trudeau and yesterday and the Day of Truth and Reconciliation, the very first one. But he spurned invitations to be where some say he should have been communicating with elders, communicating with Indigenous people, survivors of residential schools. Now, he did it the day before, but does he need to be doing it the day of? And why was his itinerary suggesting that he was in Ottawa having private meetings when he's on a beach in British Columbia? It's an honest question. It's a fair question. When we uh, check in as well with Nathan Stahl, uh, who is a geriatrician, he's also running for the Toronto Liberal, uh, he's running as an MPP for the Toronto Liberal Party next spring in the 2022 election. Why is there no vaccine mandate for long-term care? And we discuss the non-profit versus profit when it comes to long-term care. So much data is in and it's clear there's a choice and it's clear that it keeps people in a better quality of life depending on who they choose. Ryan Imgren, biostatistician on the latest COVID from schools, um, where we're going with it and his thoughts on the effectiveness right now of the chief medical officer of health. And we talk about Ashley Manfield, former MSNBC news anchor, taking on Katie Couric over things Katie Couric said about Ashley Manfield in her new book. And it raises the question of journalism and mentoring and whether it's handled the right way many a time. All coming up on the Toronto Today podcast. Thanks for listening. Justin Trudeau's itinerary yesterday said he was in Ottawa for private meetings. Um, that that color of his skin, it, not, that's not where I'm going. I'm not going to that from the 2019 election and the scandal. That tan line does not say he's in Ottawa for private meetings. Oh, you can get sun in Ottawa if you like. You can. But you can't get sun, surf, waves, and salt water like you can in Tofino, B.C. He was in Tofino, B.C. yesterday after his itinerary said he was in Ottawa for private meetings. Charlie Angus, the NDP MP, wrote this. And I agree with the sentiment. And judging by your texts, 289-975-1640, many of you do also. This is going to be a difficult one to defend, and Charlie Angus knows it. So here it comes. No public official goes skiing on November 11th because we show respect to the veterans. On this day of reconciliation, you don't skip town and go to the beach because it's about showing respect to survivors. This is not a holiday. It's a day of atonement. And I agree with Charlie Angus here. Look, a lot of you, a lot of you, and, and obviously most Canadians didn't vote for Justin Trudeau. Two-thirds of voters did not vote for Justin Trudeau and the Liberal Party. Maybe you voted, quote-unquote, strategically and wanted to prevent an outcome in your riding or prevent an outcome in the House of Commons or even prevent an outcome in the Prime Minister's office. That's all fine. That's all good. We all get the one vote. We all mark one X. But here's what I would say about this. There are very few people that can defend what Justin Trudeau did yesterday. Is it going to change the world? No. Is it going to change his perception? Also, no. It's a big, big problem, okay? And Justin Trudeau's tweet yesterday does not acknowledge this. Here's what he tweeted. I spent some time on the phone today with residential school survivors from across the country, hearing their stories and getting their advice on the path forward. By listening and learning, we can walk down that path and advance meaning reconciliation together. Let me ask you a question. Joe Biden just went to the 20th anniversary ceremony of 
hey, Greg, stop right there. Are you comparing 9-11 to uh, the genocide of Native Canadians at residential schools? No, I'm not. Every tragedy stands alone. Okay, we got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time and be able to use similes and metaphors to make comparisons. So, no, I'm not. But how would that look in the United States? And do you think it's polarized here about Justin Trudeau? Get south of the border and see what polarization in politics really looks like. You'll see it and you'll feel it. You feel it viscerally. I was, you know, when you traveled in the Trump era, did you feel it? Yeah, you did. You did. So how would that look on September 11, 2021, with Joe Biden sending a tweet saying, I talked to some 9-11 survivors. Well, he's at the beach. I spoke and listened to those suffering after the twin, you know, who lost a loved one at the Pentagon or as a result of the Twin Towers being destroyed by uh, terrorists. But then he's riding a bike through a park. You can't. You can't. Global News was catching up with Justin Trudeau. They found him on the beach. They tried to ask him questions. A perfect opportunity for Justin Trudeau to explain, explain where he was. Surely there would be an opportunity at some point in time. If you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, and if you're not where you should be at a given moment, professionally or personally, you've got something to say about it. We call it an alibi. Justin Trudeau apparently didn't have a listen. Why not in person, sir? They invited you. Okay, Trudeau's not more than 10 feet away uh, from the reporter asking the question. Not more than 10 feet away. How does this land with the indigenous, indigenous community? What's a white guy doing screaming about it on the radio? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, Lynn Gruel is the CEO of the Native Women's Association of Canada. She said this to David Cochran on Power and Politics last night. If the communities are inviting the politician into their ceremony, then there's certainly a role. Uh, absolutely. Um, and that's so from what you're saying, from what I'm hearing, there would have been an invitation there. Mm -hmm. So this is very unfortunate because, again, you know, we're trying to rebuild trust. Uh, we, we want to believe that the government this time around, they've been elected and that they will not break their promises. And yet on this day that is so significant for us, um, the leader of the country is just not there, is on is on a, a holiday. So this is uh, I, I'm it's quite upsetting, to be honest. It's absolutely unacceptable. It should be upsetting. Uh, that's Lynn Gruel from the Native Women's Association of Canada. So many of you are weigh, weighing in on the text, and some of you are saying, and, and I, I'm seeing this common refrain, Greg, this is why I voted for the Liberal Party, and they lay out the reasons why, but they find this bad. They find this reaction bad, and they're like, you see, you know, you see, and people show you who they are, okay? Over and over again, you can say, well, it's a mistake and I, I made an error in judgment. When you make the same errors in judgment and when you perpetuate a stereotype of I say this, but I don't do it over and over again, you know what happens. You know how you would feel if your parents were doing that. You know how you'd feel if your child was doing that. A best friend. I count on you to show up. Where are you? I, you know, I, I want to meet up like friends can dig in on other friends, can't they? And say, you're not there for me like I'm there for you. And this is the leader of our country. He's the leader. You don't have to love it, but he leads. And have we been in a crisis the last 20 months? Yes, we have. But that's 
absolutely tone deaf yesterday, and the prime minister must apologize for it today. Today. Even if you think, well, there's some complicated gray area about SNC-Lavalin. Of course there is. We all glazed. At a certain point, we all glazed over about SNC-Lavalin. I know I did. I know I did. And you might be obsessed with SNC-Lavalin. You might be obsessed with the We Charity scandal. What happened here? Who knew what? Where was this money going? Did we need a contract to get kids to work in the summer of 2020? All those are fair questions. All those, and some of it's political minutiae. This is really easy. Like, this is really easy, and this is easy for me because I don't need to go too deep into the topic to make this relatable to you, the audience. Are you where you say you are consistently? And if you're not, why not? And do you try and set up an appearance to look a certain way, but you're really not putting in the work? These are honest questions. Text uh, message, Trudeau's Reconciliation Day trip. What kneeling by and placing teddy bears on graves and standing for the permanent shame of Canada isn't enough? Has the prime minister ever heard of, from about Rod Phillips or Gavin Newsom? End result, people who voted for him will roll their eyes and people who didn't will just have feelings about him reinforced. He'll get away with it and resume virtue lecturing soon. And that's okay to have that opinion. And that's an opinion that a lot of people are listening to the radio in their cars right now or at home nodding, going, that's right. That's right. But this is a massive, massive problem. Here's another text. Canadians have excused this pattern of behavior for the past six years. So he's been conditioned to do whatever he wants with very little negative consequence. Get in front of a camera today. Don't send and don't send a press release out because say it in your own words. Say it in your own words and mean it. Okay? Because this is something that has to get settled. When you hear the disappointment in that leader's voice, let's do that clip one more time if we can. Let's do that clip one more time. Uh, from Lynn Gruel from Power and Politics. We're going to do that, Rob. Yeah. I want you to hear the genuine disappointment in the voice. And now, several hours later, I want genuine regret from the Prime Minister of Canada. That was the wrong call. It looks like a deceptive call. How else is anyone supposed to read this? Here's Lynn Gruel talking about what needed to be done. Invitations were given, they were rejected. He's having private meetings in Ottawa, but he wasn't. Here's what she said. If the communities are inviting the politician into their ceremony, then there's certainly a role. Uh, absolutely. Um, and that's so from what you're saying, from what I'm hearing, there would have been an invitation there. Mm -hmm. So this is very unfortunate because, again, you know, we're trying to rebuild trust. Uh, we, we want to believe that the government this time around, they've been elected and that they will not break their promises. And yet on this day that is so significant for us, um, the leader of the country is just not there is on is on a uh, holiday so this is uh i i'm it's quite upsetting to be honest it's no good it's no good we all stepped up we, you know uh we all thought about this yesterday we all paid attention we put guests on our show that meant something and those aren't one-offs i said that at the end of the show and it's really important to me it's really important um you know to everybody that works on this show to our producer extraordinaire shiba Siddiqui. it's important to all of us our bosses that this just isn't something that you show up and go well how about this look how much we care no you have to care i don't care how it's perceived i care how it ends up i care about the end result and you can't do what Justin Trudeau did, plain and simple. No one wants to dig in. Have your family time. Do this. Do that. Leave today. Leave tonight at 7 p.m. Because if you're all about, well, look at performative behavior, how does that perform? If you're all about, well, let's see how this lands and how it's perceived. 
as opposed to the reality of it. Well, how is it being perceived? Crappily. That's how. Excited to have our next guest on. Uh, he is a biostatistician consultant. Uh, we've loved our visits. He's walked us through COVID. We've righted some wrongs here uh, and and give, given great safe risk mitigation tips. He is Ryan Imgren. It's great to have you on the show as usual. How are you? Not too bad. Yourself? I'm great. Well, listen, I made it back. I visited you, and I need you to uh, give a uh, capsulized review. You're, listen, first of all, I'm a soccer fan, but you're a soccer snob. You don't even you don't even watch the English Premier League. You're all about the Bundesliga, Bayern Munich, Germany's national. Okay, fine, fine. I mean, how how did that go at Euro 2020? But we don't have to discuss that. We all have to take the L sometimes. So you watched our Ajax boys play um, Sudbury. Oh, boy. Now, I should tell you that we've won since then. We beat a North Toronto team the other night, 1-0. Um, but y- you, you didn't see us at our best. Can you give us? Can you give the folks a review of the Ajax team? Yeah, I think it's a whole data <laughs> like analytics thing. I think when you're like, kicking that ball, you got to kick inside the box. You want to <laughs> limit the number of kicks you have outside the box going for those really big, long-distance, messy Ronaldo-type goals. Yeah, we don't have a Messi or uh, or Ronaldo. Uh, we don't even have their kids, uh, and I don't know how old their like. We don't we don't have a, a three year old from uh, little Messi on our team. But we're ba- we're bouncing back, you know. And and Sudbury, right? They 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 grind it out. That was a real home advantage for them, right? Muddy field, mucky field. Um, you know, eight or nine of of the uh, of their fans were um, actually I didn't realize this former World Cup referees. So some of the parents had had previously refereed in the World Cup. I didn't know that. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, there was one that that was like that was it that was absolutely enveloped in mud, and then there was the other one that looked absolutely pristine. I thought that would be true. Um, all right, so so many people that we have on uh, regularly, and and again, who is going to agree all the time on COVID? Basically, nobody. But we, we've seen uh, Dr. David Fisman, who used to be on the Ontario Science Table, well documented. He resigned. Um, you know, didn't like some of the accountability and uh, and anonymity of the Science Table. Has has made these kind of tweets this week that says we're in a really good place. I'm trying to figure it out. I can't understand why we're so successful. Would you agree with? that sentiment or were there things you saw going into the fall and we're going to get to schools on uh, in and of itself but would you look and go no it's going about like i thought or even better than you thought it's definitely going better than i thought we had a reproduction rate that is significantly under one and it's not like it's hovering at around one and it's super like precarious right now it is significantly under one it's at around 0.9 so what that means is 100 cases leads to 90 cases in about three days time that's a really really good data point to be at, especially when we're not seeing the impact yet of vaccine passports. So I think right now, um, that is, we're in a fantastic spot, much, much better than I ever thought we'd be in. Cases are not necessarily, we all talk about couplings and cases are not necessarily being coupled, especially in the highly vaxxed areas, by either ICU visits uh, or hospitalizations. And we we do know there has to be a certain percentage of people who will test positive for COVID in the hospital, but they're there for another reason. So it's really, the, the ICUs and the hospitalizations are massively, massively important. But are, are you seeing a decoupling as opposed to a year ago at this time, and especially in the summer of 2020, we, we know cases are going to lead to major, major problems with people. We're just not seeing that same thing right now no we're not we're seeing icu numbers actually start to come down a little bit um they're sitting they're sitting at very very good numbers but that's what you would expect with such a heavily vaccinated population and as and, and as i think we've always said we're not worried that much if at all about cases in the vaccinated population it's those cases in the unvaccinated population 
which is very, very troubling. And it's also very troubling when you get case counts that are very, very high, because when you get case counts that are very, very high, that's when we start to see vaccine breakthroughs, um, like cases. And it's those that may lead to like utilization of the ICU if those case counts get high enough. But if we can keep those case counts low, those cases in vaccinated people don't really matter too much. We're Ryan Ingram's our guest biostatistician. I, I know we're still like wandering around so confused at some of the hypocrisy of uh, of the rules and whatnot. It was well documented this week. I know you watched the NBA that NBA players can come in and play unvac. I mean, listen, the New York Yankees were just here and, and some of the players aren't fully vaccinated, but you got to be fully vaccinated to watch. Someone wrote you this and, and you responded, Ontario variant. He wrote, I find it hilarious. I'm allowed to enter an arena and coach kids without proof of vax, but spectators can't do that. Is COVID aware i'm a coach and therefore won't infect me or the kids and this goes back to some of the stuff even what we were talking about with the restaurants last week like i'm sorry like if you're sitting down and eating for two hours uh and covid's there you will get covid the good thing is it, the odds are it's not the odds are it's not so putting the putting the mask on walking to the bathroom it ain't going to make a difference if you've already been sitting there for 90 minutes and we're still stuck uh on these agonizingly hypocritical things we're doing yeah we're actually seeing outbreaks now uh like Gil has started to actually like break down some of those sporting event related outbreaks. And we're seeing huge, huge outbreaks that are sporting re um, event related. Even if they start with a vaccinated case coming home, it gets passed on um, to someone in the house who is under 12, who is unvaccinated. They go start to play sports and it, and, and it's being passed on to other people. And what like, concerns me about that is it's not as if we're seeing high, high rates of COVID-19 right now. And we are still seeing huge, huge outbreaks. In fact, they didn't say what the sport was, but there was one team that 41% of its players tested positive, the other team 23%. So when like COVID-19 is entering one of these teams, it can like completely ravage the team. And if it goes home to unvaccinated people, it can also ravage the household. Ryan Ingram's our guest Toronto today. We love having him on, uh, joining us Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Uh, rapid test that got a lot of parents. You're a parent. I'm a parent. Tons of parents listen. We hear from them all the time. Uh, rapid test got people very, very fired up. You tweeted this rapid test can be purchased in bulk for $1 for the 1.7 million students in Ontario test two times a week, uh, with no cases three times per week. When there is a case, it's 80 bucks a kid. The government just doled out $400 per child in April. It's it's madness. It's beyond frustrating. And then when people start to do this independently or organize this themselves, Ryan, the government said, no, no, those are for businesses. What's more important to business or the economy than open schools? Not very much, right? No, that's it. And that is something which really frustrates me about our chief medical officer of health is that he would have the audacity to shut down a parent run program that is being run by parents, nothing to do with the schools at all that is using like tests acquired by the federal government. Um, it's like, uh, like decisions like this that they irritate me because we know what's right in this case. We know we should be introducing rapid um, like testing inside of schools. But even when cases are low, we see a medical officer who exactly like Dr. Williams is afraid to make the really, really easy, easy choices. And instead wants to tout the PC party lines. And I, that, worries me going into October, November, December, do we have the right chief medical officer in charge here in Ontario? And if he can't mm. make the right easy choice about rapid tests and wants to stop parents from doing rapid tests using tests from the federal government, I don't think we have the right guy in charge. 
Well, I'll follow up on that in a sec. But yeah, I want to ask you if you had hope and now it's vanished. Okay, everyone's Dr. David Williams. Well, listen, and some of that was communicating, right? And no one wants to dig in on how a person is in front of a camera. And and no one wants to suggest, well, that's a lack of caring. I wouldn't say that about Teresa Tam. I wouldn't say that about Dr. Eileen Davila. I know their jobs are difficult, but I do think, and I want to get your read on this, we've put a lot of of people that aren't used to being front-facing in front of a camera and ask them to communicate. And it's difficult without experience, without training, or it's like an NFL quarterback. You got an it factor or you don't. You can handle the pass rush and find a receiver or you can't. So did you have hope Dr. Kieran Moore would be an improved communicator and be maybe more of his own man than it appeared Dr. David Williams was? And now it's it's obvious he isn't. How, is that how it lands for you? Well, that's the frustrating thing for me is that he does actually communicate well. In fact, the other day, he actually said very, very explicitly, school transmission is happening. When one case goes in, it leads to two to four other cases. But then he called that a win. So he like, communicated that yeah. very, very well. But like, calling something like exponential growth a win is a really, really big problem, especially when we have the ability to get those tests out of schools. He also said um, that screening was super, super effective. Well, it's not as effective as antigen testing is. So he's, you know, using these lines. And as I said, like completely belittling what antigen tests do. And Mm. my take after hearing all this is that he wants to wait. He wants to stop the parent program so that he can roll out his own sometime. And he can be the hero in this. The same thing that he did when it came down to vaccines with the 2009 crowd. Like London started to vaccinate their kids. He put an emergency shutdown order in place and then said a few days later, okay, you know what? All 2009 kids can get vaccinated. You don't need to be the hero. You just need to do what's right. We and were, I don't think he can do that. We were so late on this. We were so late on getting the uh, the 2009 kids going, knowing they'd be going to school or, or just allowing, you don't have to wait for your birthday. Um, it's ridiculous. And we got kids of all sorts of different sizes and shapes. Um, it, 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 it's insanity that we waited as long as we did in that department, let alone the mandates for teachers, but whatever. We waited so long there. That could have been one of the first things Dr. Moore did was say, this is critically important because we're going to have cohorts and fully vaccinated and totally non-vaccinated kids in the same classroom every single day we can avoid that if we vaccinate uh all the oh nines and and again when parents get rushed you know this too in our communities when parents are like oh you're rushing this what's going on because that seems to be the biggest hesitancy i don't agree with it you might not agree with it the biggest hesitancy is when when the government says oh we got to do this quickly you're like why what what's changed yeah, and that's it. And I think in a you know situation like this, when it comes down to those grade sevens getting vaccinated, that needs you know a good understanding of schools. And we know that the class sizes in grade seven and up they are extremely high. They are intermediate students. They have a slightly different like class size formula. So it's those students that we should have had fully vaccinated entering the fall in September. And sitting on that for okay, just like you know two to three weeks means that now we have some kids entering the you know, school year who were either unvaccinated or partially vaccinated and yet wanted to be vaccinated. And that's, you know, something which is just absolutely wrong in schools. It's going to lead to cases and it has led to cases too. So it's a quick two-parter. I'd ask you if, if Dr. Kieran Moore should resign, but then if your answer is yes to that, isn't the same and and we don't expect that but isn't the same thing going to happen like we can have an independent in you know integrity based chief medical officer of health seems to be the the, the common opinion 
It does, because I think I was one of the people, too, that when he got this like position, I saw what he did in like Kingston. Yeah. He did fantastic work there, but then all of a sudden, he enters the role here, was doing well for the first few weeks, and now he's simply touting the like party line, exact same thing which Dr. Williams did. These individuals are not independent of the party in charge. Mm. So either he needs to step down or we need someone that is independent of the party that is willing to do what is right, is willing to make those tough decisions and to put safety first. It should not take a bunch of people screaming like to the media, online, everywhere else in order for things to happen. And that's the only way that we've got things done. Vaccine passports were the exact same way. That's right. They only introduced them when we screamed about them, when we shouted about them. And even then, it took them way too long. And it's still not even fully rolled out. It'll still take another month for us to have the proper system in play. Yeah, I really think the people um, and people like yourself getting your voice amplified, I really think the people made a difference there. I don't think they were coming without it. We all knew we'd hit that one dose wall, but we needed to push push through it. And this was the only way. A a all the data from Western Europe, all the data from the United States that they work uh, for uptake of vaccines. I got to leave it there. Thanks, man. Have a great weekend. See you later. Take it easy. Ryan Imgren, uh, joining us, biostatistician. You know, listening to the show, my father-in-law is in a long-term care home. Um, he suffers from dementia. This happened much earlier than anybody thought. He just turned 70, 70 um, a few months ago. And uh, and he got vaccinated and we felt a sigh of relief as a family. But it it is not right beyond the obvious that there is not a vaccination mandate for long-term care workers. The vast majority of U.S. states... U.S. states have vaccination mandates for long-term care workers. These were our most vulnerable. This sector, if you will, and they're people, so they're not just numbers. They suffered the worst. They were in the most peril. They were by far in the most danger. Um, I find it amazing. No long-term care worker can go to um, a movie tonight, can't go to a movie, or go see the Jays Orioles tonight, but they can come to work today and take care of our most vulnerable people. If you get it, um, great for you, because I don't. I'm not sure our next guest does either. He's a geriatrician. We should also obviously point out he's running as an Ontario Liberal candidate for Toronto St. Paul's in next year's election. Full disclosure, he is Dr. Nathan Stahl. Let's go heavy in a second, but yeah, like you're a Jays fan. I know if you're gonna be if you're gonna get into this politics game, you can't negatively tweet about, you know, Robbie Ray or should he have been taken. So you gotta be careful, right? But I'm giving you a chance to vent. We'll destroy and burn the tape if you want to vent vent for 15 seconds about the Blue Jays. I'm cool with it. Good morning, Greg. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think there were two sad things about last night. The obvious being that the Jays had a complete missed opportunity. Uh, not, you know, just a unforced error, not unlike not vaccinating staff and lost <laughs> care homes. Yeah, yeah. You know, the other thing which made me sad was also, you know, Robbie Ray and Garrett Cole are head to head for the Cy Young, right? And uh, I know, I know. There's some thinking that Ray has had the, you know, may have the edge, but that game could be a deciding factor in, in the Cy Young, not, not just because of the outcome of the season, but also because Ray got lit up at the end of the game, right? And it'd be really sad if Cole ended up with a couple more votes for the Cy Young because of last night's well, game. Well, I know. And, and sometimes you got to, you know, you got to go Al Michaels and believe in miracles because uh, I, the Dan Schulman said last night on the broadcast, uh, Sunday starter will be Hun Jin Ryu. And I hear a voice from the other room. No, not him. So we got to we got to have some <laughs> we got to have some confidence that, you know, people are making 20 million dollars for the right a year for the right reason. And and Ryu can be there, uh, but they probably need to sweep when I lay all that out. Um, and we're going to talk about just the investments needed in uh, in long term care, let alone the not for profit sector. 
I'll ask you point blank. Were you, you know, if someone had said to you four months ago, well, look, we're going to get vaccine mandates. We're going to get vaccine passports. And I told you all these things. I got I got a, a, a kid whose friends can't go to a movie with him this weekend because they're not all double vaxxed yet. That's unbelievable that that's the case. That's the case. 12 year olds can't go to movies together. And we've got long term care homes without a vaccine mandate. You, you, you would have said that's impossible four months ago. Would you not have? Unfortunately, I, I would have said that it was likely, right? If, if you look at the comments that were made by the government over the summer, both with vaccine pan, uh, passports, but also with mandates, they clearly said that they did not want to do vaccine passports, right? They talked about not wanting to have a split society. And they also spoke about it being their you know, constitutional right, I think was the words that were used by the premier, about healthcare workers being able to decide. But, you know, he's right that it is the constitutional right of of any individual to determine what medical intervention they do or do not want. What he is wrong about is that it is their constitutional right to be able to provide direct hands-on care to long-term care residents when they are not vaccinated. So I I am not surprised, you know, and I think I'm hopeful. I I tend to be a hopeful person, Mm -hmm. just like vaccine passports, uh, which, you know, they reneged on because it was, you know, the obvious and needed thing to do. Uh, I I do hope that a vaccine mandate will come. I just, you know, we we saw a story earlier this week of of some uh, daughter pleading that her mom had died in a long-term care home, whereas the outbreak was felt to be associated with unvaccinated workers. And I just hope, you know, we, we do not have any more preventable deaths Uh, while the premier decides when he is going to implement this. What do you hear on the ground from independent long-term care homes? And do they have um, carte blanche? Do they have authority uh, to suspend workers who aren't getting vaccinated? Or does that get into a whole ground of legal territory? And I ask that because that's clearly happening in the United States. There's there's massive hospitals in major American cities, along with long-term care homes, that are suspending their employees who don't get vaccinated. And guess what's that do? That, that the threat of losing a paycheck is getting people in line to get the vaccines. But we haven't even attempted to get there here in Ontario. Yeah. So what what they directive six is the directive that uh, you know dictates the their policy on this. And you know, Dr. Moore talked about what they implemented being the bare minimum. I'm not sure why we need to strive for the bare minimum yeah. in our province, but it does give the authority to homes to be able to go above and beyond the, pol- the current policy, which allows unvaccinated workers to continue working if they test and if they take an education course. The issue, though, is that, you know, they are susceptible to legal challenges. And particularly some of the independent nonprofit homes do not have either the financial resources or even the resources in general to be able to take on a legal challenge. So what some of the nonprofit homes have done is actually joined together, taken money that they would normally reinvest in care and have created their own fund for a legal fund, which is just sad, right? You know, some of the larger chains have been able to mandate it themselves because they do have the resources for that. But this is something we should not be downloading onto these individual homes. Much the same way earlier on, the province said any restaurant could, you know, impose a vaccine passport, you know, they could use the printouts that they got for the from from the you know, when right. they were vaccinated and show them. But again, we knew what happened during that, right? Restaurants were harassed by anti-vaxxers. This needs to be legislated by government to protect the individual healthcare institutions, just like we needed a vaccine passport to protect individual businesses because we can't download this onto them. 
Dr. Nathan Stahl is joining us Toronto today with Greg Brady, Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We have a ton more data now, a lot more data about what people prefer in long-term care and where our seniors and those residents are more safe. And it seems obviously slanted towards the not-for-profit. I know Advantage Ontario, which represents non-profit long-term care homes in Ontario, pointed out some statistics earlier this week. And and in the survey, 68% of people entering long-term care select not-for-profit homes as their first choice. Did did all this bear out? uh, and, And was this all obvious before the pandemic? But the pandemic simply amplified the safety amplified the care that our seniors get in the not-for-profit ones yeah there's there's decades of research on this preceding the pandemic showing that in general uh and again you know none of this is a a black and white issue that each home is automatically good or bad depending on their profit status but in general when you look at the data on a population level not just in canada but in the united states and even places beyond non-profit homes tend to deliver superior care Uh, And and whether it's outcomes like transfers to the emergency department, even mortality rates, whether it's staffing levels, whether it's things that are relevant to the pandemic, like infection prevention and control, they have tended to have better outcomes consistently over time and over multiple jurisdictions. And then during the pandemic, you know, we saw I, I led a study, I believe I talked to you about it, you know, it feels like eons ago, but we led a study in the Canadian Medical Association Journal showing that mm-hmm. for-profit homes had larger and deadlier outbreaks than the non-profit homes. So, yes, there, there is ample research going back decades to suggest that the level of care is better in non-profit and municipal homes. Uh, I got to hit you with this because if you're going to run for uh, election, you get uh, you get you get questions right to 100, 101 mile the Nate Pearson fastball down the middle. <laughs> OK, and, and those are hard when he's throwing 102 as he was last night. Yeah. But yeah. but this um, I was disappointed in all the parties I it, it, in the recent federal election that long term care wasn't brought up. I know we've got people conditioned, Dr. Stahl, to think health care is a provincial thing. But the federal government and all the federal you know parties can push hard and change the system. How much of an issue is this? Should this be at the very top of the chart for your party, for your leader and for the Ford government to address as uh, as an election debate issue is what we do with long term care because we can't leave them as they are. We simply can't. Yeah, I, I think you highlighted up front that, you know, the awkward sort of uh, division between federal and provincial slash territorial jurisdiction when it comes to long-term care and, and, you know, long-term care not being, you know, the money is transferred to the provinces and territories and ultimately for when it comes to long-term care, it's administered by the provinces. I have a very, very hard time, uh, you know, not seeing this being a ballot box issue in Ontario in our election. You know, we had Mm -hmm. over 4,000 residents die of COVID-19 uh, in, in the pandemic thus far in Ontario. This was an issue that was, as you mentioned, overlooked. It, it will be an issue. It will be an election box issue. And, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about politics here, but like, I think we need each party needs to put partisanship aside when it comes to long term care. Um, you know, people think about vaccine mandates, right, being a sort of partisan issue. You know, a conservative government would never impose a vaccine mandate for long-term care workers. That's not true, right? In Nova Scotia, they just imposed that and they are a conservative government. So yes, this will be a ballot box issue. Yes, we will have different approaches and philosophies and plans of care for what we should do for long-term care residents. 
But I, I, absolutely, this will be a ballot box issue, and I think it'll be across the board. Well, let me give, I know we're tight for time, but let me give you a quick example. This is where I think some people would say, how can we get everybody in Ontario on the same page? Does that happen anywhere? Well, it just happened in Quebec. It just happened in Quebec where all the parties said, guess what? Anti-vaccine protests. We just had a couple. I saw a video of them at schools in the GTA. That's outrageous. So all the parties you'd think by now, and I think there's only one holdout, could get together and pass anti-vaccine protest legislation that stops intimidating teachers, healthcare workers. You got anti-vaxxers handing out pamphlets to eight-year-olds when their parents are picking them up yesterday. What are we doing? And in Quebec, they said, you're not doing that. You're going to jail if you do that. Yeah, uh, you know, and you probably saw the scenes from the Eaton Center last yeah. weekend where they were hosting vaccine clinics and people were literally trying to storm the Eaton Center to disrupt these clinics and intimidate them. Yeah, I, I think absolutely we need safe zones around our hospitals and on our vaccine clinics and our schools. Quebec has done that within 50 meters, which, you know, respects the individual's right to be able to, quote unquote, peacefully protest, right? but also protects these essential services and, and, and protects healthcare workers and education workers. We should be doing this. This is, again, an issue where it shouldn't be about partisanship. It's just about doing what's right for the people of Ontario. And, you know, frankly, across the country, this should be done. Yeah, right and wrong. Uh, have a great weekend. Uh, go Blue Jays. Enjoyed having you on. Thanks, Dr. Stahl. Thanks, Greg. Take care. You got it. We saw this uh, video yesterday. Ashley Banfield, the Toronto-born Ashley Banfield, I've always wanted to talk to her, um, went on her show uh, yesterday, uh, or the day before, and uh, she hosts uh, News Nation and uh, fired back at Katie Couric. Everybody knows who Katie Couric is, and Katie has a book out called Going There at the end of October. And Sheba, let's start with you, because I sent you the audio, and you were like, whoa. Like, it was um, it was an intense few minutes, and, we, and we've we've slid it down. Um, fill in, I'm, I'm probably all over the map, but fill in some of the blanks that, that you think the audience needs to know before they hear the audio. What would you say about it? Well, I would say that Ashley Banfield, uh, she came forward and she expressed some emotions and concerns she had about Kitty Kirk's new tell-all book. Uh, she spoke about her concerns in being mentioned in the book. She talked about how at first she was scared, uh, and then she wanted to correct the record on something in the book, and that's what this clip is. Now, this is a, it was about a four-and-a-half-minute TV clip, so we've, we've cut it down quite a bit. Kirk writes that... She was aware that, quote, someone younger and cuter was always around the corner and singles out Banfield as an example. Um, and then there's this excerpt that the Daily Mail printed directly from, from Katie saying this. For a minute there, Ashley Banfield was the next big thing. I'd heard her father was telling anyone who'd listen that she was going to replace me. In that environment, mentorship sometimes feels like self-sabotage. So I want to correct the record here because you went after my dad. Um, it's just not true. Uh, when I was in Afghanistan, um, there were a lot of reports about it being a very dangerous assignment, and a New York Post reporter got the home phone number of my father, who was near 80 and extremely senile and living in a care home. And they got his landline, and they called and said, are you afraid for your daughter? To which he said, yes. And I think NBC should bring her home and give her a desk job like Katie's. That is a far cry from being able to even leave that facility, let alone telling anyone who would listen. So that hurt my feelings deeply, and I hope Ms. Couric corrects the record on that. I also want to say this about Katie Couric. There is no one better who has ever been on morning television than Katie Couric. 
What so, an absolute class act Ashley Banfield is, don't you think? Yeah, I wondered how that landed for you, whether it was just the right tone of, you know, th- there's there's places you can go, and we all can all accept professional criticism. We all can. But, yeah, the parents and kids often feel very off limits. We were talking about that during the, the Canadian federal election as to what's, what's fair game and what isn't, right? She handled this with such grace. And, Greg, I do want to correct you on something. In our previous segment, you called this a battle. And I felt like you were sensationalizing Ashley Banfield. I mean, she was being assertive and she was being very respectful and speaking her mind. So I don't think this was a battle. I mean, it might have been, she might have felt attacked by Katie Kirk, but the way that she handled this with such grace and such class, uh, I think she just knocked it out of the park. And this is an industry that at that time in that generation of women did encourage this. I mean, there was that threat that that younger, you know, more attractive, smarter woman or whatever it was at that time was going to replace you. Because unfortunately, we work in journalism and in the TV industry specifically, women do age out. Find me someone who looks like Regis Philbin, who's still, who's still doing what he did at his age, who's a woman. Yeah, it it's harder to do. It's harder it, to do. And you're right to correct. I mean, Pamela Wallen went, went pretty deep um, age-wise, but it's, it's more rare. It's far more rare uh, for, male, for, for females to do that than for males. You're 100% correct about that. 100% so there is, correct. There is a double standard on that. And then she talks about mentorship and mentorship is so important. Do you have a mentor, Greg? Just you um, and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be so, leaning on Dave strongly uh, thanks, after nine o'clock this lot, morning. Greg. Oh, and Rob, <laughs> Rob, yeah. Rob, I didn't even realize you were, I didn't see you over there. I, uh, oh, uh, you're over my shoulder. But, but Dave, you see this too. It's sometimes, this is what I see is that sometimes uh, women have tougher hills to climb. They got more walls they got to break yeah. through in our business. No doubt about it. But oftentimes what I see, and Sheba, you tell me if I'm wrong, you can correct me again, that's what the show's about, is sometimes I see women get a little more embattled, and they dig in a little more towards each other than guys do sometimes. And I... Uh, I Ash- disagree with well, you. Well, Ashley pointed that out, and she said, why do we assume that there isn't a lot more room for women at the top? I played this well, clip for my wife, and she's like, yeah, why, why does there just have to be one woman doing something or one woman at the t- as an executive in a company? But who's assuming that? And who's at the top making those decisions? I can tell you I don't think it's a woman. But Banfield's think, saying Katie Couric assumed that, and that's that why Katie that, didn't help yes, anybody. That that's proves my point. So the point is, though, that that was her generation. This is back in the 80s that she's talking about, you know, in the it, early 90s. No, it's 2000. It's 2001 no, was it? when it was she 2000s? got- Yeah. Okay, but Katie was on from the- I remember she was a big name. Like, back in the 90s, she Mess. was a big name. So, I mean, this is going way back. We're going back 30, 40 years here. So for her to time, it's interesting because a lot of men I know don't have mentors and women that I know, they go after it. They find other women that they resonate with who have these dream careers that they want one day. In my generation of women, it's changed. They are supporting each other so much. And it's come a long way. It's got a long way to go. But who's making those decisions at the top? Who is at the top often in a company? I'll tell you what, it's a great point. I'll tell you what will be interesting. And I know we're tight for time. And Dave, you you know who Deborah Norville is. And she replaced, uh, you know, she she was a replacement for Jane Pauley on the Today Show and was mm. much, much younger. And some would say prettier. And people didn't like that. People didn't like that one bit. And there was a lot of territory. Look at Ann Curry, right? And and we go, to, and this is, that's why the book's going to be fascinating to me. Just uh, speaking aside, what's she going to say about Matt Lauer? She worked with, beside Matt yeah, Lauer forever, right, Sheba? That's, that would be a huge <laughs> and, story. And she, she digs in on Deborah Norville. And that's, Deborah Norville's not going to take Katie Kirk's job. Deborah Norville had her time already. So the book notes that she digs in deep on Martha Stewart, Deborah Norville, and Ashley Banfield. All three I, women. Why? 
I got to say, though, back to the point where she's talking to the father who said, you know, she's going to take your job one day. If you ask my parents, they would say, my son is the best news anchor anywhere, and he's going to take anybody's job. So, you know, he's going to be prime minister one day. And and so I think that's a little bit unfair if you go after the father and say, well, you know, he's been telling him, sure, my parents are proud of me. They're going to tell everybody as well. That's not that's not a bad point. Sheba, can you get Dave's parents on for 820 <laughs> on uh, Monday? We'll, well just see what happens Word of here. advice, Dave, just don't take long <laughs> walks on the beach in Tofino on important days of the year. <laughs> And not many have gone from news anchor to prime minister. Often it's the other way. Prime minister goes to talk show host or something like Or failed prime ministerial candidate uh, gets a t- We're all failed at something if we're sitting here. Trust us. Thanks so much for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. Please subscribe. Please rate us as well. We'll be back with live shows next week, all week, beginning at 5.30 on Monday morning. Not Friday morning. Who said that? Why is it here on the teleprompter to say Monday instead of Friday instead of Monday? And we'll head into Thanksgiving weekend, all doing it together. Have yourself a great weekend. Thank you so much for listening.